essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. Wrestling fans, it's Sean coming to you from London, Ontario, with another edition of the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. Now, I was going to do episode 80 in two parts and cover everything that happened in AEW, WWE, NWA, and everything else, plus our roundtable discussion that we had in the car on the way back from Listowel. However, unfortunately, I did get a little bit sick, so I delayed it to do episode actually. 81, which will have all those things, but it'll be two weeks of results from AEW, WWE, including Full Gear. So I'll be right back after these messages with episode 81. Are you looking to get into the wrestling business? Well, look no further than the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory. Located right here in London, Ontario. It's Tyson has over 20 years of experience in the wrestling world. And he's even been brought down to the WWE Performance Center to be a guest trainer. We've already seen the likes of Jordan James. Kyle Boone. Violet Lee. Jim Strider. Pharaoh Bowman. Chris Mitchells. And many more. Plus, the new generation that are coming from the second group, such as Josh Pine, Shiloh, Nova, Frankie War, and many more. You don't want to miss your opportunity to learn from one of the best in Ontario, if not all of Canada, or the world, in Tyson Dukes. So that's the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory. It's open Monday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. And located at 309 Exeter Road here in London. You hear the rumble in here? The rumble is the sound of progression, and fundamentals are being made at the Wrestling Factory. This is Tyson Dukes. And you're listening to the Scumbags of Wrestling Podcast, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Before we hit the roundtable discussion that we had in the car, let's do what we usually do by highlighting everything that's happening in the independent wrestling scene this weekend and next weekend. The upcoming calendar for Smash Wrestling includes November 23rd, when Smash Wrestling returns to St. Thomas at the Joe Thornton Community Center. Doors open at 5 p.m. with first bell at 6. Some of the matches you'll see include physicality, insanity, and hilarity all rolled up into a tag team match. Physical attraction, the muscle, along with Violet Lee, put breakout team Baywatch on the test when Smash Wrestling returns to St. Thomas. 
Will Psycho Mike Rollins' conscience get the best of him when he scores off with Corey Stone? We'll find out when they battle one-on-one. Last weekend at Midwestern Wrestling, the Revolt were very close to relieving Halal Beefcake of their tag team titles. They get a rematch, but this time it's in triple threat action as they add two of the pillars, Tarek and Brent Banks, into the mix, who will walk away with the Smash Wrestling tag team titles. And it's teacher versus student. When Smash Wrestling returns to St. Thomas, Tyson Dukes takes out his wrath on Michael Grayson. Hope the kid is wearing his pocket protector for this one and doesn't owe Tyson any money. You can get your tickets now by going to smash-wrestling.com or contact me as we try to get a group together and head down the highway to St. Thomas and take in some Smash Wrestling action. Then, just in time for the holiday season, Smash Wrestling does return to London, Ontario at the London Music Hall on Sunday, December 15th. Doors open at 4 p.m. for Remix You a Merry Christmas. Come to the Smash Wrestling Christmas Party at the London Music Hall on Sunday, December 15th. Live wrestling is their gift to us this year. And an added bonus, all tickets are $10 off. Bring the whole family, and if you have never attended a Smash Wrestling event, make this your opportunity to do so. Join us in the Scumbags Wrestling section, whether you're with the Wrestling Nerds or Scumbags Wrestling. Let's get a big group together, celebrate Christmas, bring the kids, bring the whole family, and support independent wrestling when it comes to your town. Elsewhere in Ontario on the independent scene, Northland Wrestling presents the Miller Memorial Cup, November 16th with doors opening at 5 p.m. in North Bay, Ontario. You'll see the Tag Team Championships on the line as the Reckoning take on Carew and Cadman Turner with special guest referee, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Dan Jarris defends his True Patriot Championship against Ray Beauchamp. The North Star Championship will be on the line as CC Moss defends against Nova and Divya. Entrants into the Miller Memorial Cup tournament include Jonathan Ruckin, Jesse Bieber, the Devil's Hitman, Nick Watts, Jake O'Reilly, the real John Gonzalez, Ryan White, Scotty the Body, Chris Argo, and many more. That's the Miller Memorial Cup happening in North Bay, Ontario, presented by Northland Wrestling. Tickets are just $15 or $20 for VIP. Group rates are also available. Then on Sunday, November 17th, Pro Wrestling Eclipse presents November Bash 2019, happening at the Royal Canadian Legion Branch 43 in Oshawa, Ontario. Stars you'll see in attendance include Lean Worldwide, The King of the North, Carter Mason, and the Saturday Night Delight, Tyler Terva. You can also catch Lucha Libre action at Tequila Fest here in London on November 16th. Looking at next weekend's calendar, there's Crossbody Pro Wrestling Showcase number 23 on November 22nd in Kitchener, Ontario. On November 23rd, New School Wrestling presents Secrets Out in Hamilton, Ontario. On November 24th, MAPW Wrestling presents Smashed Into Pieces 
happening in Hamilton, Ontario. This actually will be MAPW's debut show, and I promise to deliver a night of high energy, hard-hitting extreme action. This show is being put together in conjunction with the upcoming feature film, Deathmatch Dad. And don't forget that November 29th and 30th are the final two shows of PWA after 14 years of existence. The first one happens November 29th in Guelph, Ontario at the Red Chevron Club. And the final show happens at the Alpine Club of Kitchener on November 30th. Tyson Dukes is currently one half of the Smash Wrestling Tag Team Champions and one of the pillars of wrestling in Ontario. He's had a very impressive career over the past two decades, and it's only natural that aspiring wrestlers would want to learn from a veteran of his caliber. Since October 2017, Tyson opened up the Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory here in London, Ontario. Students learn all aspects of wrestling. The first graduates like Jim Strider, Violet Lee, and Jordan James are making their names for themselves on the indie scene. Whether you're a student or a supporter, you can now be a part of the club and purchase your own beautiful zip-up hoodie. They're just $40 up to extra large and $45 for larger sizes. Contact Tyson Dukes Wrestling Factory directly on Facebook to order yours today. Hi, I'm the Fireball Kid, Jordan James, and this is the Scumbags of Wrestling Podcast. And welcome back to the show. Let's head back to the car and check out some of our roundtable discussion as we headed back from Midwestern Wrestling. A little more to talk about. We're only in Kirkton right now, so why not uh, hit some uh, other talking points? We talked about the fact that end of... NWA. What are your thoughts on NWA power while we're slipping that word in there? I watched that last week. I didn't get to see AEW because of the fact it was delayed by an hour. Yes. Uh, AEW Dark did not uh, appear at 7 o'clock as normal. Apparently Joey Janela said that it was delayed because people didn't want to see him beat up Marco Stunt as bad as he did. So Janela uh, is taking credit for that. Your uh, thoughts on power? I enjoy NWA Power. Um, it's taken me a few episodes to get used to the no entrance music. But I've started to really enjoy NWA Power. It's pro wrestling. Um, without some of the unnecessary frills um, or gimmicks. It's been kind of nice to see. Um, I know there's some a big title change still to come up. I'm not sure if it's this week or the next week, so I'm excited to see how that plays out. Um, I've actually enjoyed it. Yeah, Cole Cabana, who we just mentioned, actually won the uh, North American uh, Championship back from... Uh, now you're thinking NXT, National Heavyweight. National Heavyweight, okay. Uh, from James Storm. And uh, I think that now frees up James Storm to go after uh, Nick Aldis. So who knows uh, whether it's that, the tag titles, or the women's title that 
Steven is alluding to. We'll have to check it out in the upcoming episodes. And they've got a pay-per-view coming up. Yeah, sold out. Yeah, it's either December 14th or 15th. It's whatever that Saturday is of that weekend. The 14th. December 14th. I I forgot what is it called. It's on pay-per-view. Looks like it could be a good... To watch. So I'm going to cheap plug my website right now. You go to thesharpshooter.ca, you'll be able to find out what the heck he's talking about. So we're driving right now. I'm going to thesharpshooter.ca. I'll be able to give you the exact date, I believe. But uh, anyways, NWA has been great. It's an old school feel. It's different because there's no theme music. Uh, there's no kind of uh, Scott Hunter announcing going on. Um, the other weird thing about it as well is with there being no theme music, it's it's you're not used to it after you watch NWA and then you watch AEW or you watch WWE or whatever the case may be. And it's like something to get used to, but it's um, the talent that they have is absolutely amazing and able and, and being able to put over the product that they do on such a small level right now. Your thoughts, Sean? Yeah, I'm enjoying NWA Power. I try to make sure that it is available every. Tuesday at 6.05 on our Facebook page so people can uh, tune into that. They also have their own Facebook page and YouTube channel so if you don't get it off ours you can always get it off from the actual source. Daniel, uh, have you been picking up uh, anything with NWA? I've only seen a little bit of it but I'm definitely going to have to start checking it out. It's definitely a different feel from what we've been used to for the last uh, 25 to 30 years. Uh, studio wrestling was a major thing in the South, and especially with like Jim Crockett promotion in Mid-South Wrestling. So it's a huge throwback to a era gone by. So the, the cool thing is just uh, NWA Into the Fire is the next pay-per-view, or the pay-per-view. Sold out on December 14th. They've got two sets of tapings December the 15th of NWA Power, which is also sold out, and it looks like you can get tickets to the 16th show, but having two back-to-back sellouts sell like that with probably a third on the way is pretty cool. Yeah, no complaints on that one. Uh, right, there's plenty of room for more wrestling. Of course, that fills up your whole week with Monday Night Raw. On Mondays, Tuesdays being uh, NWA, AEW Dark, and Impact. Wednesdays with uh, AEW Dynamite and NXT Thursdays while well, you get your NXT UK Fridays with uh, Smackdown yeah just a loaded Monday through Friday uh, feel and then when you throw in your UFC AEW pay-per-views happening on Saturdays and WWE pay-per-views on Sundays you could yeah you got non-stop wrestling going on so we, we going free-for-all right now Sure. So whoever wants to comment on this, uh, I'm a huge fan of New Japan for wrestling, have been for a while. Uh, they've finally just announced some of the matches for the two-day show for first time in history. They're doing uh, Wrestle Kingdom uh, back-to-back days. So you'll see the 4th and the 5th with New Year's Dash, I think, being moved to the 6th. Uh, but four and F's matches so far, you can comment on this if you guys want to. Jay White, who people have seen as Smash Wrestling, taking on uh, Naito. Uh, for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, obviously, White is the champ. Uh, Naito is the former champ. 
second match announced Will Ospreay champion, uh, WGP junior heavyweight champion, taking on uh, the returning Takahashi. Uh, so if you're not familiar with him, go back. He's been injured on the shelf for about 16 months. Uh, so it should be a good return match going up against Ospreay, who a lot of people will be familiar with, with his uh, Twitter war with Seth Rollins. Uh, third match announced, and this is, I I don't know if this is just Juthin Thunder Liger's last match or last series of matches, but it's got him, Tatsumi Fujinami, the great Suzuki, or the great Sasuke, if you want to call him, and Tiger Mask, taking on Sano, Otani, uh, Takaya, and Taguchi. Taguchi's one of the regulars there. Uh, so eight-man tag team match. Uh, maybe just thoughts on Liger finally giving it up and retiring. And then another match that was announced, Okada versus uh, Kota Ibushi. Uh, people remember Ibushi from obviously Cruiserweight Championship or the Cruiserweight Classic. And then I believe Jericho is fighting Tanahashi on the second night. So that'll be interesting to see as well. Anything as far as those matches go that stand out? And Sean, I know you grew up WCW based. Thoughts on Liger retiring? Well, Liger's had quite the career. I think they just recently unmasked him or something like that. So if he's uh, ready to go out and hopefully I pull a Terry Funk, I hope he has a really good uh, retirement tour. And uh, some of those matches uh, definitely look interesting. Uh, great to have uh, an English uh, version of the commentary and just be able to enjoy it. I'm not a huge on uh, New Japan follower uh, because there's just so much here in North America for starters. So your thoughts on Jericho returning to fight uh, Tanahashi? Well, it's good that he has that open uh, relationship because AEW is not having a uh, relationship with uh, New Japan after they left along with not having a relationship with uh, Ring of Honor, which has lowered their uh, value as well. So those guys stepping away, the elite, has kind of hurt both organizations a bit, so they've had to rebuild. So would you trade in AEW, though, to basically go back to the days of New Japan with the elite? Well, if it means more... Uh, ability to wrestle because there's always tournaments galore in, in uh, New Japan. But I, I asked that with, with uh, the reasoning being is because of the fact New Japan just launched New Japan Pro Wrestling America set to happen in 2020. So now you've got yet another promotion trying to run the states. And whether or not it's, the market's going to be oversaturated, who knows. But you thin out these rosters and it's safer, you know, a perfect transition. So you have Smash Wrestling, for example. Say they lose a guy like Tarek. Say they lose a guy like Tyson Dukes. Is, are you still gonna be hyped enough to go back to the shows to be like, because it's Smash Wrestling, or in our case tonight, Midwestern Wrestling? Or is it one of those things, hey, Tarek's not part of the show anymore? And, and another reason I bring this up, because I had a discussion with Steven earlier, and <laughs> he turned his back on one of the Smash shows because he just wasn't interested in who they replaced Sean Spears with. That's right, eh? Yes. And, and that's that's a passionate wrestling fan right there, not one to pay for a product, or you know change his mind on the product because you're excited to go see Sean Spears, you're excited to go see Tarek. Uh, I was excited to go see Orange Cassidy. I was like, hey, sure, why not? I heard some hype about this guy, and this is prior to AEW. But does the promotion make the superstar, which makes you want to go to the show, or does the superstar help make the promotion 
and you're going to go regardless. I mean, that's a burning question right there. I think sometimes it's a give and take because if you get enough exposure from a uh, organization that helps you build, but if you have a good enough reputation that you're being signed and brought into an organization to perform on, that's going to put uh, butts in seats and money into the promotion in the future. So it's a give and take and just like Steven uh, did and if it's uh, oversaturated you can pick and choose where you uh, put your money. So I guess one of the, the big questions is, is is it worth it? So everybody knows SummerSlam week happened in Toronto. I ended up being in a smash show to watch what was the German WXW? So WXW was happening on the Friday. ROH was also happening on the Friday. So I had to leave the WXW show, full house, Walters in the building, everything else. And I'd leave at intermission because I had to subway it down, down to Maple Leaf Gardens to be able to catch the ROH show and do the meet and greet. Well, I get down there and the card is, is good for what they had. I mean, main event was phenomenal. But when you look around the building, you're trapped in the moment. You see what's in the ring. You hear the fans around you, and that's good enough. But if you're looking on TV, on pay-per-view, you're seeing a lot of empty seats. And again, with AEW being week six and pay-per-view tonight, the fact is their attendance is already starting to go down. So it's it'll be interesting to see what happens 2020 as far as the wrestling business goes. And... I'm, I'm interested to see New Japan America, or New Japan, New, I forget what they're calling it, New Japan USA. Yeah, I think it's New Japan USA. I'm interested in seeing it. I don't follow a lot of New Japan pro wrestling. It's just, it, like Sean said, there's so much here in North America already. Does it piss you off as a fan, though, the fact that they won't come over to the States and interact with, say, an AEW or an Impact Wrestling or an ROH? A little bit, because it's tough to find, like, I find as soon as you find a commentary team that you can get behind from New Japan, it's changing. Then you finally can get back into them and it changes again. And then the voice, the, the commentary team can make a product that if you're not familiar with it, you can get behind it and start to learn about the product. Um, my only major regret as a wrestling fan is not seeing Jushin Liger live. I would have loved to see Jushin Liger live anywhere, um, but 2020 will be interesting as in wrestling, um, independent and the major ones. Um, I, I think some of the rosters are very thinned out. Um, you can kind of see it in AEW already, um, not having the, the depth. Especially in the, the women's division, the tag division, they're both could be a little stronger, I think. Um, and then if you and ROH has taken quite a bit of a dive, I personally find since uh, Cody, the Young Bucks, Adam Page, they all left. Um, I used to watch or record when I'm working on the Saturday ROH. I couldn't even. It's been a, 
probably at least a year since I've even really even read the spoilers about an ROH show because it's just I'm not I it's missing something and I'm not sure what it is. I, I, I tell you this, star so, power. Yeah. But it, what you said about the commentary team is is bang on. The fact is you got ROH, which is one of the most diminished products in 2019. But you've got Ian Riccoboni and uh, Caprice Coleman and basically Colt Cabana doing their thing. And it's a, it's a kick-ass commentary team as far as I go. Um, Ian knows his stuff. He knows that to put it across without being a Michael Cole or a Mauro Ronello. Um, and then, of course, you've got Colt Cabana, who's wrestled all over the world, has got all the experience in the world. He adds that humor effect to it. And you got Caprice Coleman, who's just kind of like that third arm that uh, you know, pipes in when he, when he, when he needs to. But uh, when you talk about the talent and stuff like that, you've got a guy like Matt Taven, who, uh, you know, the big thing with the kingdom, and they've had to turn Vinny against him just to be able to, you know, free, you know bring out new matches and stars and stuff. But here's a guy who was in the kingdom at one point with Adam Cole, uh, Maria Canellis, and then Mike Bennett. And they were huge back then. But what do you do when all of a sudden Mike Canellis, Maria take off WWE, and Adam Cole takes off the NXT? I mean, you left with one guy who's basically the weak link in this, uh, this uh, you know, kind of uh, foundation who's now left to lead the, the pack. So it'd be like taking away Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish and Adam Cole from the Undisputed Era, expecting Roderick Strong, as great as he is, to lead that faction as well as Adam Cole has. So. Well, speaking of some of the changes that are in the landscape, we're in week six of AEW and the Wednesday Night War with USA Network bringing NXT to uh, it live every Wednesday, going head-to-head with AEW. And the first couple of weeks, obviously, AEW was on top with the ratings. But then this week, we saw a very narrow gap between the two. Is this trend going to continue? Does AEW find a way of somewhat bouncing back? Is the increase in uh, NXT ratings because of this current uh, invasion stuff leading up to Summer, I mean Survivor Series? And if it is only for that, does it fall backwards? What are your thoughts on the Wednesday Night Wars in general? I definitely don't think it's a war. I think AEW doesn't have the staying power. Um, I have a feeling that they're going to have to hotshot a lot to get keep their ratings ahead of NXT. I don't think... I think a lot of people who would normally watch NXT recorded it and went over to AEW to give them a chance at another wrestling promotion... I think that this week will be the trend, and I think you're going to find, by the end of the year, NXT is beating AEW in the ratings. Um, I think in 2020, AEW is going to have to do a lot of soul-searching already um, to either get their more depth, in their divisions or rethink their idea of AEW 
because um, I don't think as AEW is now can be sustainable the long term. I think um, people who normally watch NXT, like I said, gave it a shot. It, they've now realized it's not for them and they've come back and stopped watching AEW. They might be recording it, but they're not watching it anymore live. Um, and that's an interesting situation because of the fact that USA Network is showing NXT live, but then the WWE Network is showing it uh, the next day. So it's not like you really need to go out of your way to see NXT when you can only see AEW once. And if fans are wanting to see NXT live over AEW, that war is not going to last too long. Chris, your thoughts? So I, I tell you this, two, two statements. Number one, uh, disagree with the AEW versus NXT thing. I think AEW is just going to stick to their guns as far as what they're doing. They obviously have storylines set up. Uh, MJF turned heel tonight, finally. They look to align themselves with the inner circle. Uh, looks like from what the report was on the internet, it looked like a Bob Backlund moment um, when the towel was thrown in and the MJF ended up turning on Cody after that. So, I mean, that was one thing that they had teased. Another thing, looking like they're maybe, you know, teasing Hangman. But who knows? He went over clean tonight. So, I think with the AEW versus NXT thing, look at what and, and oh, sorry, NXT has had to do. They've had to bring in guys like Finn Balor, AJ Styles, uh, the club, so to speak. Um, you know, bring back Ciampa, whether or not he was ready. Um, hook up guys like Matt Riddle, uh, Riddle and Keith Lee. Uh, we're no longer seeing Cameron Grimes squash matches. Uh, and don't get me wrong, some of the storylines are great. Like the first ever women's war games matches coming up looks to be great. I mean, Shayna, uh, you know, uh, bringing in Rhea Ripley from NXT UK has been great. But when you look at the original ratings taking place, and NXT was going head to head with AEW with your Undisputed Era, with Matt Riddle, uh, you know, with the Johnny Garganos and stuff like that. It wasn't until Finn Balor came in that all of a sudden things started to go. And now all of a sudden they're bringing in AJ Styles, former WWE champion, uh, you know, current United States champion. They're having to go into their money bags just to be able to compete with Wednesday. And the problem about the last Wednesday show that just took place is the fact is now all of a sudden either Triple H or Vince McMahon behind the scenes like oh we're so close we're so close so let's be interesting to see what they do next week to try to topple AEW now when saying that AEW is coming off a pay-per-view so the fact is they're going to be hyped they're going to go you know hey what's Cody going to do next and everything else and they've got basically greater star power in my mind than NXT has and once the Survivor Series war is over with, what happens next? You know, are we still gonna see the guys invade NXT? Are we gonna see any of the guys go down to NXT? But I can tell you this, and Sean, you'll know this. We went to SummerSlam. Were you excited to see Finn Balor against The Fiend, or were you excited just to see The Fiend? I wanted to see Finn Balor versus The Fiend, but I also would prefer to be the demon Finn Balor against The Fiend. So this whole refreshing thing, though, of Finn's career in a way going back down to NXT and the rumors of others possibly going from main roster down is what's needed to sustain them for being a viable third brand and that's the thing though and 
NXT is the third brand. Let me ask you guys against AEW. Let me ask you guys something because Ciampa cut a promo on Wednesday saying NXT. He always got asked when he was going up to the main roster, and he goes, NXT is the main roster. And he's saying this in front of about 250 fans. Can you legitimately say that in front of that many fans when you're trying to be a, a, a better than Raw and SmackDown? You have to uh, believe everything you're saying. And it has been looked upon by the fans as being better than the main rosters. When Finn Balor uh, came from the main roster down to NXT, he likened it to a Hollywood movie versus Broadway. There's a bigger microscope on Broadway because you're in a smaller audience that has to come and see you and there are no real safety nets as opposed to a Hollywood production which is what the main roster is. So you have to kind of work yourself twice as much just to get over and be crisp. I also prefer, I think the, the WWE main roster has gotten so big, it's it's too big. That's the problem with the WWE Raw and SmackDown, it's too big. Where AEW has the problem that it's not big enough. I find AEW's got that perfect mix of talent, like talent right now, and future talent. Like, to me, Matt Riddle is future WWE champion. He has the it factor. The Undisputed Era, they're going to be major players in the WWE long term. I just, I don't see an issue with some of the guys going back to NXT to get refreshed and get a new lease on life. Um, better than the, some of them doing nothing on the main roster. Case in point to me, Sami Zayn. <laughs> All the talent in the world doing nothing on the main roster. Former NXT champion has never won a belt since he moved up. So I would personally love to see him back in NXT competing and competing for the titles it, it's just I I don't necessarily have a problem with some of the guys going back to NXT even after Survivor Series um, I hope that after Survivor Series the brand splits kind of stay solid there's an NXT brand, there's a Raw brand there's a Smackdown brand it's very rigid um, but is, but, it, is this one of these things though where it's Vince McMahon and Triple H Triple H knows how to build them and Vince McMahon doesn't know what to do with them when he gets taking point Johnny Gargano and, and, Sean you would know this because of the fact that the amount of times you probably saw him in Smash Wrestling one of the most God gifted talents out there huge NXT following you know take over the night before SummerSlam and huge match was that Adam Cole but he had like one match maybe on the main roster the same time they had Aleister Black and Ricochet come up and then look at the way they wasted him yeah unfortunately Vince likes to pick from NXT the top guys but then the Lars Sullivan there's a, there's a case in point right there oh I forgot about him 
Let's book a this. lot of people have. Like, book this guy because he's big. Look at what they did with AOP. They are big, and they wasted those guys. Uh, well, yeah. The Ascension. The Ascension. Yeah. Um, I think Al I'm a big Alistair Black fan. He's being wasted. In his black room? Yeah, I'm... I would much rather see some of these guys stay in NXT or go back to NXT. Andrade, another guy. I don't think he's ever held a WWE title. No, oh, he was up for... Oh. No, he didn't get a title. He's getting close to it. He came close, I think, with Bobby Roode. Now he's hooked up with Charlotte in real life, and that's why everybody is over on Raw like they are currently. Well, they didn't break up any couples. But what do they do? They put them in back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back matches with Sin Cara and this, this new girl that they brought up. Yeah. But look at Bobby Roode. But how is he... I'm not even sure what he is anymore. He went from an, an impact or TNA, whatever you want to call it, the it factor to the joke. Because it's painful to watch. Yep. Another example of Triple H building a guy. Yep. He's teamed with uh, Ziggler, but he did well in NXT. Gets brought up to the main roster, and he's a theme song. Yes. That's all he is. Even their attempt to have his Cody Rhodes mustache uh, gimmick, that didn't last long. This isn't wrestling related, but uh, if you head this way through campus, it's quicker. Yeah, I just want to throw something in. Yeah. Daniel, Speaking you're still awake. Of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of NXT, uh, how you guys know uh, William Regal coming out and giving Shotzi Blackheart an NXT contract. Where do you see that going? You know, here's a question for you. What do you think about that? Shotzi being called up to the main roster. I know last weekend was her final independent appearance. So... But your thoughts, do you think they're going to waste Shotzi? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> are we uh, like? Are we going to see the ballsy badass down there in NXT? Or is it she going to go all black hair and... I mean, here, here, here's, the, here's something for you guys. So I don't know how much you follow Impact Wrestling. But have you guys seen what they did with Sue Young recently? Yeah, she just changed to... Uh... She's a, uh, no longer a dead bride. No, and yeah. I, uh, My concern is they're going to do something like that with Shotzi in WWE. Well, that's not going to be her name. No, I, well, and that's the other thing, too. Think about some of these guys. Like, I couldn't even remember on the way up what they had changed ACH's name to. So, I mean. Jordan Miles. Jordan Miles, yeah. Well, they it was what? Shotzi Blackheart, uh, Scarlett Bordeaux. Someone else in a ref they just started. Yeah, some uh, other girl named Indy Harwell. And it was a referee from Evolve. Like, oh, so here's a question for all, for all three of you guys. So when they get moved to this roster, they get moved to NXT, they get moved to WB, their name changes, their gimmick gets hyped up a little bit more. Do you guys still follow them the same way? Or is it one of those things like, hey, they're WB branded now, so forget about them? Um, As a fan of them, if I am a fan of them to begin with, I still enjoy whatever they do, regardless of the name, because you know who it still is. Yeah, I think it's depending on how much of a fan I am of the person. Um, 
you're still crying if they uh, are treated horribly and going, oh my god, you were so much better when you were anywhere but there, but still, you want to see them succeed. Well, here's a, okay, so here's a, not female based, but here, so I listened to Busted Open Radio and they had Sammy Callahan on the other day. And Callahan, here's a guy who's down at NXT, they're doing nothing with. And Callahan, much like Ty Dillinger in a way, said, you know, screw this. Um, I'm not going to be marketed the right way. I'm losing my passion for this. It's wrestling to me is more than just a paycheck. And so one of his main reasons for going to Impact because he wanted to be world champion because he wanted to learn how to put butts in his seats. I mean, and Ty Dillinger, same thing. And, I, you know, Ty, did he go over tonight? Yes, he, he won. He actually went over tonight. Uh, I mean, I'm not a Sammy Callahan fan. But to drop the WWE to go still be passionate about the industry and maybe taking a pay cut but to remain loyal to why you got there in the first place I mean I, I, here, here's here's another thing are we enjoy Tarek if they change his name and next thing in, like look at Aaliyah Aaliyah was trying to become somebody on the independent scene goes down to WWE and is like a shell of her former self now I don't know if the paycheck's worth it well, I'm still, like, even if they do uh, change Shotzi's name, I'm still going to follow. You're still going to watch your matches? Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting um, on what they do. With Enteric, I'd probably still follow because we've seen him for so long. I mean, I don't like some of the changes they make to characters names because I find their names boring or unbelievable um, you have those odd exceptions like AJ Styles who debuts at the Royal Rumble you got to keep his name What's, yeah and you got to keep his name but then you have a guy I'm trying to think for example who was one of the signees with the ACH group they brought in well okay Cameron Grimes he was um, different name in Impact Wrestling Trevor Lee I yeah think. Trevor Lee friend of the Hardy Boys had a following over there and they still changed his name um, Punishment, Punishment Martinez former ROH champion they changed his name to Damian Priest which I actually prefer more that's one of the few that I I actually prefer Punisher, um, Damian Priest to Punisher Martinez. I think on the Shotzi part, I think because her name's so unique, I would probably keep it. They might just shorten it to Shotzi. Yeah, some people have been able to keep their names, so we'll just have to wait and see. And uh, for a while, it's going to be under NXT and Triple H. Uh, I think Skylar Bordeaux is so. toast, though. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that. What do we think that's going to happen with her? Smoke show? Well, that's going to be changing. But I think, what about Killer Cross? Her real life boyfriend. He needs to be left alone. And I've said this, I said this to Killer Cross on Twitter with regards to him and his character being one of the, the best things that has happened the past couple of years. I remember seeing him at the Impact tapings that we went to in Toronto. And I didn't know much about the guy. I just He was AJ, not AJ, Austin Aries' henchman. 
but the more you see his character, the more you see his promo work. He's one of those guys that should be left alone. He's got that uh, Alistair Black uh, significance to him. Yeah, if he ends up there... Well, he's, he's trying to get released from Impact. Which I think he did, but... Did he, he officially... I didn't, I didn't know if he got officially released, but... But then, if he was there, Vince would probably have him be Baron Corbin's cousin. Oh, yeah, I don't think he needs to go to WWE at all. I think AEW, if he becomes available, AEW should be paying him whatever he wants. I think he ends up in Mexico, I think, is where he normally performs, and or in New Japan. He'd do well in New Japan. I, I know I know he's got ties with Mexico, so the fact is with Penta and Ray Phoenix there, I could easily see him AEW. I mean, I'm not an Impact fan at all. I was. It's, I'm not sure how you guys feel, but I find it very painful to watch. It's been a little bit better uh, recently compared to what it was, but well, unfortunately they had the stench of their former selves uh, anchoring them down from people even taking them seriously. Well, they did. Ken Shamrock did Joey Ryan's dick spot. Yeah, and that was all over the internet as being one of the worst things in the world. So, on that note, we're going to have to wrap this up because we are actually back in London and about to drop Chris off at home. And uh, we'll see what happens uh, this week in WWE. And we'll recap everything. I'll be recapping (laughs) AEW full gear when we get back. Thanks for joining us. wrestling fans join me each and every friday on our facebook or youtube channel for the production line i stop by the tyson dukes wrestle factory and catch the stars of tomorrow being built today here in london tyson's been in business for the last two years and we've already seen stars come out of the factory such as violet lee jim strider alec realm jordan james the wave maker kyle boone the smartest man in wrestling michael grayson Cyrus Bowman, Rodney Matthews, and Tyson's own son, Ethan Dukes. Many more of the students of the future are seeing their way to the rings in arenas nearby you. You don't want to miss the production line where you can see the beginnings happening today. On the production line, each and every Friday. Check us out on Facebook or YouTube. Looking back at AEW for this past week, we got a lot going on because there was two episodes of Dark this week, one on Tuesday, which was episode number five, then it was Dynamite on Wednesday, and then AEW released a special edition of AEW Dark episode number six on Friday night. So you get to see that leading into AEW Full Gear. So we got four shows to review quickly and give you results. And let's get it with episode number five, AEW Dark. Episode number five started off with Tony Giovanni, and he introduced us to Dasha Gonzalez, which most people would recognize her as Dasha from WWE. She's for the Spanish team and is now going to be part of AEW Dark each and every week. 
The show started off with Sean Spears, accompanied to the ring by Tully Blanchard, taking on Michael Nakazawa. Excalibur is on commentary with MJF, and MJF still despises Sean Spears. It was an interesting match with some back-and-forth action. Tully Blanchard was providing some distraction to Nakazawa, and in the end, Nakazawa was reaching into his trunks to take off his thong. He got his thong out and wrapped it around his hand. Sean Spears hit the hand covered in the thong and then hit a slingshot jackhammer for the victory, and Sean Spears is your winner. The next match was Mercedes Martinez and Big Swole, two ladies I saw at the Summit in Toronto, taking on Sadie Gibbs and Allie. This match kind of went long as they were getting towards the time limit draw. Allie ended up preventing Swole from doing the uh, Romero special, and then Allie went after Mercedes Martinez and hit a lucha arm drag and took her to the canvas. Big Swole caught up and charged right back in t- and got hit with a super kick. Sadie Gibbs got up top, hit a nice moonsault, and that was the ending of the match. The winners were Allie and Sadie Gibbs before the time limit expired. There was a video of Britt Baker talking about the injury she sustained when B. Priestley stomped her in the back of the head and didn't even follow up with a call or text to find out if she was okay, unlike other stars did. And so it basically broke the rule of professionalism if you hurt somebody to follow up with. So then she started talking about their match at full gear and how she was going to exact revenge on Priestley and get her to tap out using her uh, mandible claw. There was a video with Cody talking about Jimmy Havoc being signed and how he went from undesirable to undeniable, just like uh, Cody did. And so that uh, whole little interview took place, which led to the next match, Jurassic Express, Marco Stunt, and Jungle Boy taking on Jimmy Havoc and Joey Janela. A lot of high-flying moments in this. They even tried to get out the... uh, staple gun and everything, all the toys that Jimmy Havoc and Joey Janela like to use. And the finish came when Janela hit Marco Stunt with a super packaged pile driver, and they got the victory with pinning Marco Stunt. Jimmy Havoc was bleeding from everything that happened and threw the staple gun at Janela and just walked away as Janela was celebrating. Backstage, Janela got confronted by Tully Blanchard, and that was a big enough distraction for Sean Spears to attack Janela from behind. Janela got beat up, had his mouth pried open, and they uh, shoved a lit cigarette into Janela's mouth. The camera didn't really get to see everything, but you could hear Janela doing some screaming from what had happened with the whole cigarette thing. That took us to AEW Dynamite on November 6th, and that came to us from the Bojangles Coliseum in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this was their go-home show before Full Gear. The regular commenting team of Tony Schiavone, Excalibur, and Jim Ross were at the helm tonight. And the first match was the Bastard Pac taking on Trent, who was accompanied by Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassie attempted to do some of his uh, shtick with the kicks and 
Pac was having really nothing of it, and he he took out Orange Cassidy pretty good. The ending came with a kind of strange effect because the Black Arrow got hit on Trent for a two count, and this is what we talked about earlier with the fact that the referee did not make the count even though Trent did not kick out, and so it looked really awkward, and that's when... Pac then put on the Brutalizer, and Trent then tagged and tapped out. After that match, Pac got on the microphone and directed his anger towards Hangman uh, because they were going against each other at full gear and said that he was going to have his work cut out for him. The American Nightmare Cody came out, and he was interviewed by Tony Schiavone in the ring. Of course, Cody mentioned guys like Eddie Graham, Cowboy Bill Watts, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and described them as titans in the business that also were doing business while also wrestling, and there's a lot of a stigma on that. And so he said because he's also management, just like his dad was and stuff like that, he was not going to be doing that sort of uh, routine of putting himself over and giving himself title matches all the time, and so that if he didn't beat Chris Jericho at full gear, he was no longer going to challenge for the AEW championship ever again. And then uh, he called Jericho a carny uh, succubus, and that on Saturday, after 14 years, he was going to go from undesirable to undeniable and become the new AEW champion, eating the inner circle alive. It was pretty much one of the only things of the evening that stood out. Of course, uh, we did also mention the Jericho promo that I'll talk about in just a couple minutes. The next match was Dark Order, Stu Grayson, and Evil Uno, who were accompanied by the Minions, taking on Private Party. And so they ended up handing out third place medals after this was done. And the ending came when both teams were executing some super uh, tag team combinations on one another. And Private Party hit a silly string on Evil Uno. And then they hit Gin and Juice on Stu Grayson to pick up the victory. This victory also put them in a triple threat match with SCU and the Lucha Brothers for the tag team titles happening at full gear. That match was then followed up by the video package that was spoofing Cody's video that he was uh, concentrating on becoming the AEW champion. Instead, Chris Jericho was doing sort of the same thing and having members of the inner circle giving comments. There was even Virgil, a.k.a. Uh, is listed in there as Soul Train Jones, his original name before he became Virgil. And there was reference to breadsticks and Olive Garden and everything connected to him. There was even a neighbor from church of his aunt uh, who said that she was always knowing that Chris Jericho was becoming the first AEW champion. There was reference from Sammy Guevara about Chris Jericho being the youngest AEW champion in history. And so it was definitely a spoof video, but it was hugely entertaining 
and that hyped up his match against Cody at full gear. They did a tag team match with women, having Jamie Hayter and Emmy Sakura teaming together against Portugal's perfect athlete, Shanna, in her, uh, I believe, second week on AEW, and the AEW Women's Champion, Rio. As the match was nearing its end, Sakura had hit a Vader bomb on Shanna, but Rio broke up the pin combination, and moments later the crowd sat in stunned silence as Sakura secured the pin on AEW champion Rio, and they were going to go against each other at full gear, and that is teacher versus student. Brandon Cutler took on the chairman Sean Spears. Spears was accompanied by Tully Blanchard. Spears was wearing a t-shirt that said no more garbage wrestling, obviously in reference to Joey Janela from what happened on Dark the night before. And yeah, Spears made quick work of Cutler, hit a DVD, Death Valley Driver, and got the victory. Tully then slid a chair into the ring for Spears to add an exclamation point to the end of the match. But the bad boy, Joey Janela, ran down to the ring and made the save and stopped the assault on Brandon Cutler. The main event of the evening saw Heyman Page and Kenny Omega team together to go against Spanish god Sammy Guevara and the AEW world champion Chris Jericho, and they had Jake Hager by their side. Omega tried to start the match against Jericho, but Jericho decided to tag out to Guevara, and so it started off that way. Omega hit Sammy and then followed up with a jumping back elbow. Page then tagged in in his shooting star press on Guevara. As Page was dishing out the punishment to Sammy, Jericho finally was able to tag in and begin ground and pound offense on Hangman. Kenny ended up tagging in and hit a moonsault on Sammy Guevara and followed that up with a Karana on Jericho. As Omega was looking to power up, the referee was distracted and Hager ended up getting a steel chair and hitting Omega from behind. Page got in there and hit Jericho with a lariat, but that didn't stop Jericho for long. He tried to put Page into the Lion Tamer, but Page escaped. Pac then ran out and nailed an unexpected Page, which allowed Jericho to hit the Judas effect on Page for the victory. That's when all hell started breaking loose because the members of the inner circle uh, got down there and started putting the boots to Page. Cody made the save along with MJF. John Moxley then came out with barbed wire bat in hand and headed straight after Kenny Omega. So, yeah, like I said, all hell started breaking loose as they were getting closer to going full gear. The Young Bucks ended up coming out to try and make a save. The broadcast ended with a wild brawl, and it's kind of weird. I hate to look at it in a negative way because I want AEW to succeed, but... Why does almost every episode, and we've only had six, at least half of them have ended in brawls as the cameras stopped rolling. But of course they had to do this to lead up to Full Gear, which is going to happen on Saturday. 
So all the participants in some of the major matches all had to be connected that way. And that's how they ended Dynamite this past week. As I said, Friday they had another edition of AEW Dark instead of having it happen this Tuesday. But I guess they wanted to get that out of the way since they sort of probably did commentating before Full Gear and anything that they wanted to talk about would have had to reflect on stuff before Full Gear. So they got that out of the way and then Saturday was the pay-per-view. Tony Schiavone and Dasha Gonzalez welcomed us again to the show. And the first match was Hikaru Shida taking on Big Swole in a women's match. Shida picked up Swole in a fireman's carry and turned it into a backbreaker and hit the ropes, did a running knee, and Swole barely avoided it uh, and got a roll-up for just a two-count. She hit a uh, pump kick and wanted the ripcord, but Shida ducked it and hit a knee to the face, and Shida then hit the ropes for a big leg drop, and that was it. So Hikaru Shida ended up picking up the victory over Big Swole. Sheeta was then interviewed backstage, and she was excited over her win. She said she wants to bring Japanese wrestling to North America. She was asked about who her favorite was between Rio and Emi Sakura for the Women's Championship, and she thought it was a hard choice, but she was going to go with uh, Emi Sakura because she shows true power in big matches. Kind of a little bit choppy on her... English, but that's basically the message she got across. And Chuck Taylor was then on commentary because they're rotating, uh, appears all the time. And Leva Bates came out and shushed the crowd. And we had Leva Bates and Nyla Rose taking on Shazam McKenzie and Shalandra Royal. Nyla Rose apparently wanted this to be a handicap match, but the management said no. And that Leva was going to have to be her tag team partner. At one point, there was a scoop slam, and then that turned into a nerve pinch. And eventually, they ended up giving up on it, and Leva went for the tag. Shalandra and Shaza tried to do a double team, and Nyla countered it with a double suplex. Then Leva did a blind tag. And acts of distraction for Nyla. There was a brief double teaming on Nyla to get her down. But that only lasted for a very short time. And Nyla hit a double big choke slam. Nyla was able to tag back in. And she hit a follow away slam on I'm not sure which one of the two it was at the moment. But uh, yeah, the girl got launched halfway across the ring. Leva tried to get tagged in again, but Nyla faked her out and denied the uh, tag. She threw Royal into Leva uh, to take her out to the floor. Shaza then tagged in just to eat a deadlift German suplex, a stomp to the back of the head, vertical suplex, and a cover, and Nyla pulled her up. Nyla then hoisted uh, Shaza into her shoulders, and took her over, forced her to tag Royal. Royal really didn't want to get back in at that point, but Nyla forced her in by the hair. 
Nyla then hit a uh, kick to the side of the head, a Death Valley driver, and a cover, but Shaza then ended up breaking it up. Nyla Rose then uh, put both women on her shoulders and hit a Samoan drop on each other. She pulled Shaza on top of Shalandra and then went to the top rope herself, hit a uh, Senton Atomico and destroyed both her opponents and got the pinfall. Even though Leva Bates was part of the match and was declared a winner, it was pretty much Nyla Rose who did all the work. Alex Marvez interviewed them and wondered why Nyla never tagged in Leva and said she didn't have to considering the fact that she dominated the Casino Battle Royal and eliminated almost all the people by herself. Nyla Rose called herself the Native Beast and that she's going to run through everyone in the division one by one or in this case two at a time. Then there was a video package of Cody and Jericho hyping up full gear for Saturday. And that took us to the next match with Kip Sabian and the Hybrid 2 taking on SCU with Sema. Nearing the end, Sema had escaped the fireman's carry neckbreaker attempt and ducked a clothesline. He tagged in Kazarian and Kazarian hit a springboard dropkick. He tagged into Scorpio Sky, and they nailed the SCU later, tagged in SEMA for the Meteora, and they picked up the victory. So the winners of this six-man tag match was SCU and SEMA. So that was a busy week of AEW TV with having two episodes of Dark and Dynamite leading into Full Gear. We'll be right back with the results of Full Gear. I'm Kyle Boone, one handsome SOB, and you're listening to the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. Looking back at what happened at AEW Full Gear this past Saturday, the buy-in show was hosted by Excalibur, and he was joined by the human suplex machine Taz and Golden Boy on commentary. The opening match of the night was B. Priestley going against Dr. Britt Baker. These two have a history as Baker was not able to become a number one contender for the women's championship thanks to B. Priestley eliminating her from the Battle Royale. Before the match began, B. Priestley had taken off her jacket and threw it at Britt just to try and do some mind games with her. Uh, right off the bat, Britt tried to do her lockjaw submission, but it was way too early to do that as they had to beat each other down which they did back and forth between each other. And Baker, near the end, hit an avalanche and a brain buster on Priestley. Somehow, B was able to manage a shoulder uh, capture on uh, Britt Baker, but Baker was able to reach the ropes for the rope break. Baker then hit a ripcord and then a destroyer for the two count. Baker followed up with lockjaw for the submission. That's when the lights went out, and when they came back on, out came Awesome Kong and Brandy Rhodes, and Priestley was a victim of Awesome Kong, who then took a lock of her hair as a souvenir for another woman being taken down. 
After the buy-in was the full show for Full Gear, and Jim Ross came out to do commentary. The first match of the night was the Young Bucks taking on proud and powerful Santana Ortiz. At ringside was the Rock and Roll Express, who had been attacked by proud and powerful during the finals of the tag team tournament as they were supposed to actually present the titles. This match started off even, but then Santana Ortiz made the match a bit ugly with the Bucks, executing some efficient, unorthodox tag team combinations on the brothers. The Young Bucks, though, wouldn't be outdone, and Matt delivered five suplexes in a row. The Young Bucks hit Santana with a more bang for your buck, but that was only for a two count. Matt was then hit with a cutter from a flapjack from Proud and Powerful, but he managed to get his shoulder up at two as well. The crowd began to chant, this is awesome, and Santana Ortiz hit the street sweeper on Matt Jackson, but Matt countered it in midair, and the Bucks tried for the Meltzer driver. Nick injured his leg and gave way midair, and Matt placed Nick on top of the ropes. Tried for another more bang for your buck, but Proud and Powerful escaped that with super kicks of their own. Eventually, Proud and Powerful hit the street sweeper on Nick Jackson to get the pinfall victory. Sammy Guevara then came down while he was video blogging at the same time, and he handed socks full with baseballs in them to Proud and Powerful. The Rock and Roll Express came in to help out the Young Bucks, and you saw Ricky Morton hit a Canadian Destroyer on one of the Proud and Powerful members. Up next is the Bastard Puck taking on Hangman Page. This match went back and forth with some blockbusters, pop-up power bombs. There was a dead-eye attempt that was uh, evaded by Pac. Pac ended up hitting the Brutalizer, but Page made it to the ropes. They fell into the ropes, and the referee separated the two wrestlers. Pac went for a black arrow, but Page rolled out of the way. And, as I said, it could have gone either way, but Page hit the dead-eye and defeated Pac with a pinfall victory. The chairman, Sean Spears, who was accompanied by Tully Blanchard, took on the bad boy, Joey Janela. The highlight of this match included a spike pile driver combination between Tully and Sean Spears. And Spears was able to roll up Janela with the C4 for the victory. Chris Sabian and Penelope Ford were interviewed backstage by Golden Boy. And they said, why be bad when you can be super bad? So there's stuff coming up from Sabian in the future. The up next was the three-way for the AEW tag team titles, including Private Party, the Lucha Brothers, and the champions, SCU. This was your typical three-way match, but you really didn't see much out of Private Party. It was more between SCU and and the Lucha Brothers, but the ending came when Private Party tried for the gin and juice on SCU, but it was scouted enough that they reversed it into SCU later on Cassidy, and SCU picked up the victory. As they were getting their belts raised in victory, the Lucha Brothers 
attacked the Chaffetz from behind, Pentagon went for a package pile driver on Kazarian, but the lights went off again, and from behind was another Pentagon. The imposter Pentagon hit an angel's wing and revealed himself to be none other than Christopher Daniels, reuniting with his tag team partners of SCU. The AEW Women's Championship was on the line as Rio defended her title against her mentor, Emi Sakura. This match really didn't have much to it as Sakura kind of dominated Rio for a while. Rio did come back and hit a fundamental pinfall against her instructor out of nowhere. Then the last match on the card officially for matches that counted was the AEW World Championship American Nightmare Cody who was accompanied by MJF took on the AEW World Champion Chris Jericho and he was accompanied by Jake Hager. Dean Malenko, Arn Anderson and the Great Muda were ringside judges should this match have gone the distance which was I believe 60 minute time limit. At one point Cody catapulted himself out of the ring and landed onto the ramp face first and he had a huge cut over his right eye. The referee checked him and they were able to clean up and continue the match. When Jericho approached Cody's mother, Michelle, Michelle ended up uh, slapping Jericho across the face. Cody applied a figure four leg lock, and Jericho was able to reverse it. Cody re-reversed it, and that's when Jake Hager got involved, hitting Cody. The referee, Aubrey Edwards, ended up kicking uh, Hager out of ringside area and sent him backstage. Hager went after MJF, and with the referee distracted, Jericho took advantage of the distraction and hit Cody with his championship title. Cody was able to kick out at two, and Jericho went for the juice effect, but it was blocked, and Cody hit a crossroads. That only got a two count as well. And that's when the fans started chanting, this is awesome. Both guys were on their knees slugging it out. Cody hit a bionic elbow for another near fall. And they started chanting for Cody, the audience did. Cody went for a disaster kick, but that was countered by Jericho for a two count. Later on, Cody went for a hurricanrana from the top rope. But Jericho countered that into a lion tamer. Cody was able to make the crawl to the ropes to get the break. When, as the fans were chanting for Cody, the referee made Jericho break the hold. Jericho then applied another lion tamer to Cody, and that's when MJF decided to throw in the towel to stop the match on behalf of Cody. The inner circle hit the ring with a bit, little bit of the bubbly to celebrate with Le Champion, and they ended up leaving the area. Cody sat there in disbelief of what happened, confused, MJF tried to console him and apologize for throwing him towel. When they made it to their feet, MJF asked for Cody's forgiveness. Cody raised uh, MJF up, but that's when Cody got kicked between the legs by MJF, and he began yelling, my turn, over and over again as he walked away from the ring, smiling. The final match of the night was the lights-out, unsanctioned match between John Moxley and Kenny Omega. 
This took hardcore rules in North America to definitely the extreme. They used the barbed wire broom, the bat, garbage cans. There was beds of barbed wire, including a board full of mouse traps. If it wasn't nailed down, it got used between these guys all over the arena. There was even a bag of glass brought out, which Omega used to slash Moxley's hand. Omega hit a spine buster onto Moxley, crashing down into the pile of broken glass. This definitely was not for the faint of heart, and Omega gave Moxley a big trigger knee. Moxley climbed away on his knees on the entrance ramp. Then Omega got a screwdriver and went after uh, Moxley and dug it into his forehead. Kenny Omega then called out the Young Bucks and Adam Page. He begged uh, with them to finally carry out a barbed wire spider web. Omega went for a one-wing angel, but Moxley countered it into a suplex. Crew had to untangle the two from the barbed wire. Omega sent Moxley through a plexiglass structure with a V-trigger, and the momentum caused Omega to crash through it as well. Moxley then started cutting away the ropes that held down the ring mat, exposing the wood underneath the canvas. Omega hit a gotch-styled power driver and a paragon shift of his own on Moxley, but only got a two-count. Omega attempted a phoenix splash on Moxley, but Moxley moved out of the way. After an elevated paragon shift, into the pine boards, Moxley earned the three-count victory over the best boat machine, Kenny Omega. Overall, I think this card was decent. The action before the final match wasn't too bad. Uh, I don't agree with them pulling the trigger so quickly on MJF turning on Cody, but that gives them something to go for as you heard in my predictions on the last show. But, yeah, I've read a lot of people's different opinions of that last match with Moxley and Omega. Uh, the crowd was hot for it, yes, but I'm not sure if I totally was into it. After a while, the... Weapons just got to be too much, and it's just like, okay, when can this end? And it was almost 40 minutes of garbage and tools, and just constantly using toys. So, we'll see what happens going forward, and with AEW Dynamite on Wednesday. On Wednesday night was All Elite Wrestling Dynamite, coming from Nashville, Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. Excalibur, Tony Schiavone, and Jim Ross once again are your broadcast team for this. There was a video recap of what happened at Full Gear. And then John Moxley came to the ring and he went against Michael Nakazawa. It was also announced that Kenny Omega would not be cleared to compete on this week's episode due to his injuries sustained in his battle with John Moxley. Somehow Moxley ended up being cleared but Omega wasn't. Moxley made quick work of Nakazawa, hitting him with the Paragon Shift DDT, and picked up the victory. 
He questioned whether that actually counts compared to his match on Saturday with Omega. Then he got on the microphone as well and said that while he respects Kenny Omega, Kenny will never be the same again. He then also challenged anybody in the AEW locker room who has the guts to uh, step up into the ring with him to do so. Nobody came out, but Moxley then left through the crowd. AEW just did a WWE move by reducing somebody's name down to just one name. And in this case, it's Stu Grayson, who's just now Grayson. He teamed with Evil Uno, as usual, with Dark Order. And they had the minions by their side, taking on Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy. For whatever reason, this actually went through a commercial break. And I still can't believe anything that Marco Stunt does. This should be a shorter match than having talented participants, wrestlers, sell for this uh, guy. In the end, the Dark Order did win the match. They pinned Marco Stunt, and then they even offered him to join a as a member of the of the minions and even offered him the mask jungle boy stepped in and they got beat down for their efforts of denying the dark order and that's where luchasaurus came back early from an injury and destroyed all the minions and scared away the dark order then a boy and his dinosaur and marco stunt all celebrated to end that segment up next was the chairman, Sean Spears, with Tully Blanchard by his side, taking on the librarian, Peter Avalon, who had Leva Bates by his side, and Darby Allen, who came down on a skateboard. This match didn't really last long, as Joey Janela came out and went after Sean Spears as revenge for what happened at Full Gear, and that left it basically a one-on-one -on -one match, with Darby Allen hitting the coffin drop onto Avalon, picking up the victory, and then he got on the microphone and proclaimed that he accepts John Moxley's challenge. The native beast, Nyla Rose, defeated Danny Jordan in no time flat with a massive powerbomb for the victory. Tony Schiavone then interviewed Allie and said she was excited to show the world what she can do on Dynamite as most of her matches have all been on AEW Dark. That's when the lights went out, and Awesome Kong and Brandy Rose came down, beat up Allie, who tried to defend herself, and took a lock of her hair. Getting really tired of this overused gimmick of lights turning out for all these surprise people, which is ruining the surprise. Chris Jericho came out to gloat about his retaining of the championship and he feels that everybody needs to thank him cody Rhodes' music started up and said it was mjf they went back and forth wondering if mjf wants to be part of the inner circle and jericho wonders if he was being invited to it and it was just a banter back and forth for wasting time's sake they finally decided that the person that they hate the most in AEW, they agreed on, was Cody. And that's what brought Cody out to the ring to go after both MJF and 
Chris Jericho. Before Cody could really get his hands on MJF, Wardlow hit the ring and choked Cody out. AEW's doing their own style of 50-50 booking with Hangman Page and the Bastard Pac as they went at it in a rematch from full gear. This apparently was supposed to be the rubber match as each holds a victory over each other, but I think there was already a decisive advantage between the two. In this encounter, Pac ended up getting the victory with a black arrow and the brutalizer to an unconscious Adam Page for the victory. In the back, there was a huge brawl between the Young Bucks and Proud and Powerful, and that went all over the arena. And that led to the main event with SCU defending the tag team titles against Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho. There was hardly any time left for a 60-minute time limit match. They claimed that if it didn't end before the TV show ended, that they were going to have to switch over to the YouTube channel to continue the rest of the match. Conveniently enough, just in the last three seconds of the evening, SCU, Scorpio Sky, rolled up Chris Jericho for the victory, and that's when the cameras ended with Jericho stunned that he was defeated like that. So, looks like AEW has a problem with timing, because that's another roll-up victory at the last possible second by SCU for the tag team titles, the first time against the Lucha Brothers, and now on Jericho. So, AEW seems to be either ending just in time, enraging their fans by not having a conclusive finish in one match, or ending their shows with brawls. It's a big day, and the reason why is that Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Seapart is officially sold out, man. Thanks to all of you who booked in the pre-sale. Thanks for all of you who booked early, and thanks to all of you who are going to be joining us for the vacation of a lifetime. Now, here's the thing. If you didn't buy your cabin, if you didn't book your cabin, and you still want to go, we'll put you on the waiting list. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. If somebody has to drop out for whatever reason, you'll be the first one we call. So there's still a chance. Cross your fingers. Maybe somebody double booked themselves. Maybe somebody uh, paid with Monopoly money and we just found out about it. Either way, there's still a chance that you can make it on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. If you can't, make sure to pre-book early for the next one. But for right now, we are sold out, baby. Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager Part C. That's C Part 2. We'll see you there. Now let's check out the results from WWE for the last 10 days or so. Started over on Monday Night Raw. After coming off a invasion of NXT on SmackDown, NXT had a chance to invade Raw. And it was the November 4th edition of Monday Night Raw. The show started off with Triple H arriving in a limousine, followed by a few other limousines. So that would give you the idea that NXT was in the house. The show started off then with Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar in the ring. Heyman said that 
Brock had quit SmackDown so he could go after Rey Mysterio and that Raw was going to be absorbing his contract since essentially he can't be fired from WWE and he can do whatever he wants, that being Brock Lesnar. He put Rey Mysterio on notice and challenged him to come out. That did not happen, so Brock Lesnar went hunting Rey Mysterio and encountered a bunch of people throughout the backstage and beat them up. Eventually, Brock and Paul Heyman had made their way back out to the stage, went after Jerry the King Lawler, thinking he knew what had happened. Dio Madden stepped up and got an F5 through a table for his efforts. That's when Rey Mysterio came out and started laying the beats down on Brock Lesnar with a pipe. After the commercial break, Brock Lesnar was shown limping away towards the backstage. Rey Mysterio was also uh, seen backstage and said that this was payback for what he did to his family, and he was also going to come after the WWE Championship at Survivor Series. In their second week together as a tag team, Charlotte Flair and Natalia defeated Asuka and Kerry Zane, the current tag team champions. This earned them a tag team title shot for next week. Buddy Murphy defeated Cedric Alexander in a decent but meaningless match. Seth Rollins came out to address his loss of the WWE Universal Championship at Crown Jewel to Bray Wyatt. And that's when Triple H came out and said that Seth Rollins is always better when Triple H is in his life. And even offered him a spot in NXT if he was willing to take it. That's when the Undisputed Era came out to confront Seth and try and sway his decision. In exchange, the OC came out to balance things. There was a brawl, including Dijakovic. And Damian Priest coming out and attacking the OC from behind when the Undisputed Era hopped down from the ring and went through the crowd. It was more of a distraction. A brawl broke out and Seth was just left standing there watching it all happening. So he kind of sowed the seeds of doubt of whether he was going to stay with Monday Night Raw or go over to NXT to be with Triple H. Later on in the evening... Triple H and Seth met up again, and Seth said if he was coming over to NXT, he wasn't going to be just another guy. He was going to be the guy and wanted to challenge Adam Cole to a match at the end of the night in the main event for the NXT Championship, just like Dana Bryan did on Friday. After Zin was distracted by the action of Carolina and Zelina Vega on the outside, they made it into a tag team match. But still, Andrade and Zelina Vega defeated Sin Cara and Carolina in a mixed tag team match. Rusev was in the center of the ring. He wanted a piece of Bob, Bobby Lashley, for taking Lana away from him. But then Lana and Bobby Lashley came out. Lashley was on crutches, claiming they had pulled his groin while having sex with Lana. And instead, Drew McIntyre took the spot in the match against each other. But then Bobby Lashley attacked Rusev from behind, causing a disqualification. And then out of nowhere, Randy Orton showed up and gave an RKO. And Ricochet had to come for the rescue. There was a backstage interview with Becky Lynch. And that got interrupted by Shayna Baszler. 
The two did a face-to-face confrontation, talking about their upcoming match that includes Bailey at Survivor Series. The OC defeated Humberto Carrillo and the Street Profits. The Raw Tag Team Champions, the Viking Raiders, made quick work of the East Hampton Polo Boys. The main event was Seth Rollins and Adam Cole. That ended in disqualification because of the Undisputed Era and the rest of the NXT locker room ended up attacking Seth Rollins and the Raw guys cleared the locker room to make the save. He saw Ricochet dive over the top rope into the pile. And the final thing we saw also, though, was Keith Lee soaring over the top rope to flatten everybody in his path. So things are heating up as they get ready for Survivor Series with all three brands going against each other. Two days later, it was NXT's turn to hit the airwaves on USA Network. The show opened with the OC making their presence known and they took out the Undisputed Era and made their way to the ring to address what happened on Monday Night Raw. That didn't set well with Tommaso Ciampa, Keith Lee, or Matt Riddle, who came to the ring and ended up challenging the OC for a six-man tag later on in the night. Pete Dunn defeated Damian Priest. Tynera Conti defeated Santana Garrett. And Shayna Baszler defeated Dakota Kai. This is where a lot of things got set up for the women's war games. And Mia Yim wanted to make sure she was a part of it. Dakota Kai losing that match made sure that she was not going to be part of the women's war games match. After the match, Jessamyn Duke and Mia Shafir ended up attacking Kai. But the save was made from Candice LeRae, Tegan Knox. And Rhea Ripley. But that wasn't quite enough to tip the scales. Because Team Baszler competitors Io Shirai and Bianca Belair arrived on the scene. That's when Mia Yim came out with a kendo stick. And made her presence known to even out the odds. And she was then added to Rhea Ripley's team. For the War Games match. Angel Garza defeated Tony East to earn an opportunity for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. The following week against Leo Rush. Dominic Dijakovic defeated Isaiah Swerve Scott. The show ended with the six man tag involving the OC, Tommaso Ciampa, Matt Riddle, and Keith Lee. That ended in disqualification as Finn Balor came out and distracted and even took out Matt Riddle. This also meant that Adam Cole needed to come out and get revenge for what the OC did to them, ambushing them earlier in the evening. After getting rid of the OC, that left Adam Cole turning his attention to Tommaso Ciampa and hitting the last shot. The only two people left standing in the ring was Adam Cole and Finn Balor. As the show went off the air, a lot of things need to be settled as NXT gets geared up for not only take over war games, but also defending their territory and impressing at Survivor Series. SmackDown then, two days later, had King Corbin in the middle of the ring insulting Roman Reigns. This led to their match that was going to happen later on in the evening. The New Day 
defeated the Revival to win the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, taking them out of the three-way match that was supposed to involve the Raw and NXT Tag Champions. With SmackDown being in the UK this week, it was only a matter of time before the NXT UK talent made their presence known, and Imperium did so by attacking Heavy Machinery. The attack didn't last long as New Day, Ali, Shorty G, and Apollo Crews darted out from the locker room to make the save for Heavy Machinery, sending Imperium running to the back. Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro defeated Shorty G and Ali as Daniel Bryan watched on. Shinsuke Nakamura hit the Kinshasa on Ali to pick up the victory. After the match, Sami Zayn encouraged Daniel Bryan to join the trio in the ring, but the former WWE champion decided not to, at least for now. Later on backstage, Sami Zayn confronted Daniel Bryan about not uh, choosing to join them and just wanted him to say what he wanted to say. But then the lights went out, and when they came back on, they were all red, and Sami Zayn took off in time, but Daniel Bryan wasn't so lucky as he got attacked by the fiend Bray Wyatt. Sasha Banks defeated Nikki Cross before NXT Women's Champion Shayna Baszler made an attack on Bailey. Bailey had been attacking Nikki Cross, and that's when Shayna Baszler showed up, and this set up more for their triple threat match at Survivor Series. The beatdown continued until Banks turned around and noticed what happened and rushed back to help out Bailey. Since they were in Manchester, it was also Tyson Fury's hometown, and Fury made an appearance. Braun Strowman came out to confront him. They talked about the Saudi Arabia show at Crown Jewel, and Strowman wasn't too happy about the countout loss that he sustained, but Fury wasn't too happy about the power slam after the fact. However, he did think that maybe next time they step into the ring together, it'd be as a tag team. Strowman didn't think there'd be any team stupid enough to get into the ring with them, and that's when the B-team showed up, and, well, they proved themselves right for not being able to stand up to these two guys as Fury and Strowman took out the B-team and ended the segment shaking hands and celebrating together. The team of Carmella and Dana Brooke ended up defeating Fire and Desire, and this gave them a spot in the women's SmackDown team for uh, Survivor Series. The main event was King Corbin against Roman Reigns. Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode came to ringside, and they provided enough distraction for Corbin to end up hitting the end of days on Roman Reigns and picking up the victory. This week's Monday Night Raw was also from Manchester, England, as it was taped right after SmackDown on Friday and shown on Monday. For whatever reason, Natalia was not on this trip, and so Becky Lynch took Natalia's spot, teaming with Charlotte Flair, to go against the Kabuki Warriors. The Kabuki Warriors picked up the victory over Charlotte and Becky Lynch, Shayna Baszler made her way to the ringside area and distracted Becky Lynch. Bailey came out to attack Baszler, and the distraction was enough for Asuka to score the pinfall victory with a roll-up on Becky. Shayna quickly got out of there, but Bailey then attacked Becky from behind and threw her into the 
barricade. Becky and Shayna seem to be concentrated on themselves and forgetting that Bailey is a part of this match too. Drew McIntyre defeated Sin Cara, which is not overly surprising because later on in the day, Sin Cara had posted that he has asked for his request to leave WWE. The Singh brothers took on R-Truth for the 24-7 title in a 2-on-1 handicap match, and it ended up in a no contest. Seth Rollins went one-on-one with Walter, but that match ended in disqualification with the insertion of Imperium. The Street Profits and Kevin Owens made the save, and it was later turned into an eight-man tag team match for the main event. Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, and the Street Profits ended up defeating Imperium. Walter was taken out of the match with suicide planches from Rollins and Montez Ford. Bartell was sent tumbling out of the ring after a stunner from Kevin Owens, and Rollins finished things off with a stomp to Alexander Wolfe for the victory. Andrade continued his winning ways with a victory over Cedric Alexander after hitting the hammerlock DDT. There was a very horrible segment with Lana coming out saying that she was actually pregnant, and it was by Rusev because she was nine weeks pregnant, not seven weeks pregnant, because seven weeks is when her and Lashley hooked up and had sex for the first time. Rusev came out, then confronted Lana. Lana slapped him a few times, and that's when Bobby Lashley came out and beat down Rusev. Earlier, Eric Rowan had tried getting the 24-7 championship away from the Singh brothers and was avoided. He came out to the ring and defeated a local talent. Raw Tag Team Champions, the Viking Raiders, defeated Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. There had been a moment where the OC was going after Ricochet and Humberto Carrillo. It was deemed that they needed to find themselves a tag team partner, and for some reason, out of nowhere, Randy Orton did a possible face turn and decided to join Ricochet and Humberto Carrillo to take on the OC. There was still tension uh, lingering from Ricochet and Randy Orton from all the stuff that happened weeks prior, and at one point they were together in the ring with AJ Styles and conflicted over which superstar he should sink his teeth into. Randy Orton decided to hit the RKO on AJ Styles, then tagged in Carrillo, who scored the pinfall with a moonsault. Then Orton stated to Ricochet that he does what he wants, when he wants, wherever he wants, with both Orton and Ricochet supposed to be on Team Raw for Survivor Series, it could be interesting to see if these two can still get along. Looking at last night's NXT, Cruiserweight Champion Leo Rush defeated Angel Garza, though there was some tension since Angel Garza ripped off his pants like he normally does through his match, but he threw them at Leo Rush's wife who was sitting at ringside. Zaya Lee defeated Aaliyah, and Aaliyah looked like she might have gotten her nose broken after a kick from Lee. Finn Balor came to the ring and called out the NXT locker room. Matt Riddle answered the call, and they ended up brawling with each other. Balor ended up uh, escaping and running off, but then Undisputed Era 
came down and went after Matt Riddle. Riddle wasn't left alone for too long as his partners, Tommaso Ciampa and Keith Lee, for War Games, came by his side. Turned out that instead they decided to do a match with Keith Lee and Roderick Strong. There was another brawl at ringside involving Matt Riddle, Tommaso Ciampa, Finn Balor even returned, but in the ring, Keith Lee finished off Roderick Strong with a jackhammer, and the Undisputed Era recovered to make the mincemeat out of Lee and Ciampa, thanks to the two-on-four advantage. That's when Dominic Dajakovic ended up making his entrance to the arena and helped out Lee and Ciampa, getting rid of Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly with the double choke slam. Dijakovic said he's ready to go to war and that he's in for war games. Ciampa accepted with a handshake. Isaiah Swerve Scott defeated Bronson Reed. Damien Priest attacked Killian Dane and Pete Dunne while they were having their battle. Looks like they could be on a collision course for a three-way happening at TakeOver. There was a sort of Money in the Bank ladder match featuring Io Shirai and Mia Yim with War Games Advantage being in the briefcase for the winner who retrieved the contract. In this case, Io Shirai, with some help from her teammates, defeated Mia Yim. So the heels, shockingly enough, will have the advantage going into the first ever women's War Games match. NXT Women's Champion Kaylee Ray made an appearance, and she will be on Shayna Baszler's team. As Shayna Baszler took to the stage to express her appreciation for Shirai earning the advantage, Bailey came out from behind and attacked the Queen of Spades, landing her on the stage before running off. And that's all the action from WWE leading into tomorrow night's SmackDown edition and everything going on the weekend leading up to Survivor Series. So hopefully between this week's SmackDown and the next couple shows, we'll have everything ready for Survivor Series. Next week, we'll do predictions for both War Games and and Survivor Series. Shockstock 2020 is New Earth's biggest pop culture expo and film festival. The real end is near as the outside world falls into chaos. Word of a sanctuary for mutants, freaks, goblins, and geeks spread throughout the land. Three days of thrills and chills with screenings, panels, celebrities, workshops, interactive fun, vendors, all-nighter parties, and more. Stay tuned for guest announcements and more info. This is Sting Bassey. You're listening to the Scumbags Wrestling Podcast. WWE find themselves in an interesting time with the fact that they're doing this whole invasion angle involving NXT, Raw, and SmackDown leading to Survivor Series, but at the same time trying to keep NXT battling each other while still under attack from Raw and SmackDown as they're also setting up for War Games, which is happening the night before Survivor Series.
It appears as though Johnny Gargano will not be cleared in time or whatever's going on with him to be able to go against Finn Balor at War Games event TakeOver. So after last night on NXT, Matt Riddle has taken himself out of the War Games match and is now going to go after Finn Balor. So that's one of the matches that's happening. The other two matches that are scheduled include War Games, a men's and women's edition. The women have Rhea Ripley, Candice LeRae, Tegan Knox, and Mia Yim taking on Shayna Baszler, Io Shirai, Bianca Belair, and Kaylee Ray. Kaylee Ray just got added this past week, and she's the NXT Women's Champion. The other side of things for the men have the Undisputed Era, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, and Roderick Strong taking on Tommaso Ciampa, Keith Lee, Dominic Dijakovic, and still a partner yet to be determined for Ciampa's team. So it'll be interesting to see how much they beat each other down, knowing that they have to defend their honor the next night on Survivor Series. NXT TakeOver happens on Saturday, November 23rd at the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, Illinois. Then, as I said, the following night is Survivor Series. It'll happen November 24th on the Sunday from the same arena in the Allstate Arena, Rosemont, Illinois, outside of Chicago. They currently have six matches announced, and it's all about triple threats, basically, except for, I think, one which is Brock Lesnar defending the WWE Championship against Rey Mysterio. The rest all involve Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. And so, in some cases, we're going to have 5-on-5-on-5 five 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 elimination matches with five members from each brand, male and female, in two of the matches. Other matches include AJ Styles, the United States Champion, taking on Shinsuke Nakamura, the Intercontinental Champion, and Roderick Strong, the NXT North American Champion. The women will also have a three-way with Raw Women's Champion Becky Lynch taking on Bayley, the SmackDown Women's Champion, and Shayna Baszler, the NXT Women's Champion. Not to be outdone, the tag team champions from each brand will be going at each other in a triple threat match, and that has the Viking Raiders as the Raw Tag Team Champions, the New Day, Big E and Kofi Kingston, SmackDown Champions, and the Undisputed Era, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, the NXT Champions, going in a three-way match. As for the traditional Survivor Series matches, the teams have yet to be fully formed. In the women's side of things, SmackDown has Sasha Banks, Carmella, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, and one more member to be announced. And none of the other teams have announced who they're having represent their women. Over on the men's side of things, NXT has yet to announce their team, but representing Raw will be Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, Kevin Owens, Randy Orton, and Ricochet. Representing SmackDown will be Roman Reigns, Mustafa Ali, Braun Strowman, King Corbin, and Shorty G.
with only this week's TV coming up, they have to get all the people in place for those matches and figure out what's going to happen. And all that goes down next weekend on WD Network, November 23rd and 24th, with NXT TakeOver, War Games, and Survivor Series, pitting Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. Looking at some WD news before we wrap this up, there's been reports coming out from the Saudi Arabia debacle that it seems though from both AJ Styles and Corey Graves that there was a lot of different issues going on. They didn't want to address any of the rumors that they heard, but they did acknowledge that there had been mechanical issues with the plane, a gas truck in the way, and it seemed as though the time for the pilots to be able to fly was running out of time. Just like any truck driver, you don't want them up in the air for longer than they should be. Just like you don't want a truck driver on the road longer than they should be. And because of that, their timeout expired. And that's when the talent were taken to a hotel and then flown out later on. There was question about Vince McMahon leaving people behind. But as Corey Graves explained, that Vince always leaves right after a show and takes off. And he's done that whether it's in North America or any elsewhere in the world. So for him to be criticized for going ahead of them kind of doesn't make sense. Just some sour grapes from talent who were not uh, taken immediately. As for the talent that did go, they left on the private jet because they had been guaranteed to be on SmackDown and they didn't want to disappoint fans. Turns out though, they only landed around 9.30 as the Dana Bryan and like, uh, sorry, Adam Cole match was starting. So they wouldn't even make it there in time because of all the delays anyways. So it was good that NXT was able to get there in time to cover, which according to Adam Cole, they arrived only about at 8 o'clock-ish after their flight, and Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman were in the ring cutting a promo. They still didn't have time to really discuss what they were going to do, and it was just a last-minute throw-together with Dana Bryan and Adam Cole in the main event. So, yeah, who knows what the real story is. But then WD came out also and said that they've, extended their relationship with the Saudi uh, government or the General Sports Authority and that they'll now be doing two big shows in Saudi Arabia each week. Don't know, or each year, should I say, don't know how that's going to work out considering there's a lot of talent that's angry about what happened and might not want to go back to Saudi Arabia. And if they have the option of saying no, just like others in the company have, like Kevin Owens, Daniel Bryan, what happens when more people say no? How do you fill out these cards? After teasing that he was going to go to AEW, Randy Orton signed a, a contract extension, which is maybe about five years, I think. And he'll be around longer. The Miz, he signed for longer. So did Paige. So they'll be around WWE. You never know if, if Paige will ever get cleared, but she's working on WWE backstage. Speaking of backstage, their first official episode 
had only 49,000 people watch, which is kind of crazy. This week's episode was up over 100,000 people, and it ended with the return of CM Punk. And he came up to the camera and said, just when you think you have the answers, he changes the culture. So he's going to be part of the WD backstage show as a recurring role. Doesn't sound like it's going to be every week, but he's going to be there most weeks. That definitely is going to help spark the ratings on that and get more people watching it. He's hired by Fox. I guess WWE did give their approval to hire him, but he's getting paid by them, not WWE. And that also instantly had some people tweeting that they wanted to go one-on-one with Punk now that he's this close to being part of WWE. And that included Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins. So, you never know whether or not Punk gets the itch to do so he may step back into a WWE ring that would be a lot of wounds having to be cured between Triple H Vince and CM Punk there's also rumor that CM Punk is still part of USADA drug testing and still could be doing UFC fights and there's been rumor that there's one coming up soon nothing confirmed so that's what's going on in WWE right now, uh, let's do what happens. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with our regular scheduled programming next weekend. want well, to thank you for joining me, and be sure to subscribe wherever you are. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and we also have our weekly special on our Facebook page and YouTube channel, the production line from the Tyson Dukes Wrestle Factory, watching the stars of tomorrow being built today. Till next time, have a great one. Granted, I understand it's essentially the same unappreciative crowd full of scumbags from last night. <laughs>